Okay, so we are in Nehemiah chapter 3 this morning, and we'll be starting with verse 2. So let's uh, start by opening with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we know that uh, you have sent it to us. There's portions like today's portion that we may look at and wonder if it is of any benefit to us in particular, but it is your word, and we know it is important to someone somewhere at some time, and we do pray that you'll help us to uh, derive some benefit from it by through your power, through your spirit, Lord, and I pray that uh, as I present your word that we can uh, be able to pick out some of the more interesting things, and, uh, and at this time in your word will be worthwhile to all of us. Lord, we thank you for this record of how you helped your people accomplish this great work on your behalf and uh, restore Jerusalem to its, uh, well, not to its former glory, but at least uh, begin to restore it. We just pray you bless our time now in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we will, uh, just for background, read... We'll start in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, and then we'll read just through the first two verses of chapter 3. Nehemiah 2, 17 through 3, 2. So, Marie, you want to start? Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Okay, verse 19. So when Sambalit and Hornet and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem and the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, <coughs> What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Elisha, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hanel. And next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hesed. Okay, that's far enough. Oh, I'm um, sorry. <laughs> we're gonna, I'm not going to make us all read all these names. <laughs> that's how we, we got introduction to chapter 3, but we're not, I'll try to go, go through the names. Um, looking at history, uh, it was in uh, 538 BC that Cyrus, uh, king of Persia, conquered Babylon. And then he issued the decree for the Jews to return to Jerusalem and to build the temple. Now they worked on it, started it. The local uh, peoples in the surrounding area opposed that. They stopped the work. God, 20 years later, sent Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets, to spur the people back to work, and they did complete the temple, and um, it was 515 B.C. So then we've got like a 70-year gap where the temple's been completed, the Jews are living in Jerusalem, but the walls are still broken down, 
Uh, the city is desolate and in despair. And then God moves uh, Nehemiah to go to Artaxerxes the king and get permission to rebuild the city. Now we've got an odd chapter in the book of Ezra in chapter 4. There's a whole section that just is it's like a parenthesis from the future. And what that tells us is that the Jews actually tried to start rebuilding the walls. And the local opposition again went to Artaxerxes and got a stop work order from Artaxerxes and so they had to stop rebuilding the walls and I and although it doesn't specifically say it, it sounds like um, the Samaritans tore down what the Jews had accomplished. But that kind of is what, when Nehemiah found out about that, he was, he was the cupbearer to the king. He was in a very um, trusted position, and he asked the king for permission to go back and rebuild the walls of the city of his ancestors. And so he has arrived, he got there, uh, he didn't tell the local Jews what his, was on his mind to rebuild the city. Um, he went out, and in chapter 2, after he gets there, he, he goes out at night and surveys the walls, surveys the ruins. And then last week, we were looking at verse 17, and this is where he finally told the locals what he wanted to do. He wanted to rebuild the walls. Well, they'd already started it on their own and got stopped and got things torn down. Um, and so they were wondering, why, you know, why should this be different this time? And Nehemiah uh, shared with them how God had blessed him in this endeavor all along the way. He had God's backing, God's prodding to do this. He also had decrees from the king to go get timber to build, uh, to build the gates of the city, uh, to build a fortress to build a governor's residence. So this time, it's like they had a building permit. <laughs> They'd just been sitting around waiting for someone to show up with a building permit. Now they've got one and they're starting, they're going to start building again. Um, we also saw at the end of chapter 2, the opposition, and they're listed in verse 19. Uh, Sanballat, the Horonite, he lived, he was the... Uh, from the area of Samaria, which is just to the north of Jerusalem. We've got Tobiah, the Ammonite official. They are uh, down across the Jordan River to the east of Jerusalem. And then we've got Geshem, the Arab. They had moved from the uh, Arabian Peninsula and worked their way up into the Negev and the southern Judah, so they were south of Jerusalem. And although they're not listed here, we've also seen that the Ashdodites from the city of Ashdod, which is on the coast in, uh, among the Philistines, were also opposed to them, and they were to the west. So they had opposition all around them here. And, and they started to uh, mock the work, and uh, Nehemiah basically responded by saying that uh, their God has the strength to rebuild the wall and the Jews were going to do it based on the fact that God was going to help them and support them in this. And that brought us to chapter 3. We did look at verse 1 last week. Eliashib, the high priest. And he, and he gets the priests and they begin construction um, on the wall. They rebuilt the sheep gate. And then it talks about some of the wall, the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel. 
So Jerusalem is situated on a ridge between uh, two streams that come down kind of in a V. The lower end is the old original uh, city of David. That was the city of the Jebusites. And when Solomon and David began building royal palaces and building the temple, they built north of that. So it's a long, skinny city that runs north-south. And the northern end was the newer buildings, the palaces, the temple. Uh, was on uh, Mount Zion, which is Mount Moriah. It's the same location where uh, Abraham offered up Isaac. Um, and then that, and so they, they started at the north end, closest to the temple, actually in the north uh, east corner, and we're building across the northern wall. And that's where we started last week with the uh, high priest. Um, Eliashib had kind of a conflict of interest, if you remember, because he was related to Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was one of the opposition. So you've got the high priest who is supposed to be leading this effort to rebuild Jerusalem. He's related to the man who is in opposition to building the temple or building the, the city back up. So this morning we're starting at verse 2. It says, And next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zakur the son of Imri built. So the men in Jericho come up and help to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, they didn't live there, so they would not have any direct interest in rebuilding the wall. I mean, it didn't benefit them. But this was the city of their God. You know, and all through the Psalms, you see places where it talks about Jerusalem, you know, the, the glorious city, the city of God's glory, the city of God. And this was their God and their, their capital. So they come to help. And we'll see as we go through this chapter, there's lots of people from cities outside Jerusalem who will come and help. Um, so we've got this sit group of people from a city, and then next we have a family group or a clan. And we'll see that throughout this chapter. We have these clans of the family groups that come and help. So let's turn back to Ezra chapter 2. This is the list of the people who came in the first, uh, the first group that came back uh, after the city, after Babylon was defeated and, and um, Cyrus decreed that they could return to the land. Ezra 2, would someone like to read verses 34 and 35? Sons of Jericho, 345. The sons of Sina, 3,630. Okay. So we have Ezra used a similar list. We've got men from a city is one group. Then the next one in verse 35 are, is a family clan. So that's how they listed the people, either by their city or by their clan. We picked this one out because, again, we've got Jericho here. So 94 years earlier... 345 men had come to Jerusalem from Babylon, from Jericho. And then they are the ones that lived in Jericho. So over 94 years, their families probably grew. So they probably had a fairly decent workforce here. So they're continuing to work across the northern side of uh, 
of the city. Going on to verse 3, it says, Now the sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. So the fish gate is probably the northwest corner of this wall. So they've started in northeast, they built across to the northwest. Next they'll turn and head south down the western side of the city. And uh, they're rebuilding the, the gate, fish gate. And we've got a, a phrase here that says, they laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And we'll see that phrase repeated as we go through this chapter. Um, and I, I tried to look at pictures of old gates. Um, and as far as I could tell, none of these gates or these particular walls are, are the ones that you see anymore. I think they've dug, the archaeologists have dug down through the rubble and found some of them. But most of the pictures of the gates around Jerusalem were built, I think, around the 10th century, plus or minus a century or two, by the um, Muslims after they took over the city. So you go on, uh, basically you get the Jerusalem Tourist Bureau, and they show pictures of all these gates that you can go and look at, and those were all built much later. But the, the gates were um, basically weak points in the walls, so the, it was built like a little mini fortress. It wasn't just a straight section of wall. Uh, it was a place where you could get more um, armed men in, and they could shoot down from a higher point, so it was kind of like a tower. Um, the, and the gate itself was more like a tunnel going through this little mini fortress. <clears throat> and this is where the wood would be used to build the gates um, for their defense. Um, okay, let's keep going on, looking at verses 4 and 5. Hopefully we'll go through here and I'll pick out some interesting points, a little bit of history of Jerusalem and as we go. So verses 4 and 5, and next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, made repairs, and next to him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs, and next to him, Zadok, the son of Baana, also made repairs. Moreover, next to him, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. So verse 4, it lists three family groups, all making repairs on the wall, on the western wall. So we've turned the corner, we're heading down the western side of this ridge now. Um, verse 5 mentions the men of Tekoa. Now this, is it, Te is it Teko or Tekoa? This is a little town by... Tiko. Tiko, okay. Yeah, I, I know there's a Tiko in north of Pullman over there. It's Tiko, yes. Okay. Um, but it, it says that their nobles did not support the or, or did not uh, support the work of their masters. Um, commentaries had two explanations. One is these are the nobles who uh, probably thought that they were a little too dignified and special to be able to do this hard labor. You know that was beneath their dignity. So that's a possibility. The other one is this, uh, is Tico is uh, like 13 to 15 miles south of Jerusalem, getting near to where Geshem the Arab was in power, and they may have been felt threatened 
that he might retaliate if they helped build the wall. So whether it was political or just too much pride or both, they did not support the work. And actually, as we go through this chapter, this is the only place we have something like this. Um, so the nobles of Tico were spelled out as not helping. Going on to verse 6. And Joyada, the son of Pasea, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. So I think by now you can see why I didn't have us read the chapter. <laughs> Verse 6. So we have two families working together to rebuild a gate. And again, the gate structure was bigger and more complex than just a section of straight wall. Um, and sometimes it's kind of interesting where these names of the gates came from. This is called the Old Gate. And what happened is um, after uh, Assyria uh, destroyed uh, Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, in 721 B.C., they had a lot of refugees. And they fled and they headed south and they moved into Judah and Jerusalem. So they had a lot of people coming into that area. And, uh, and so this Hezekiah was the king of Judah at that time, and his son was Manasseh. And so they actually had to build on to the western side of Jerusalem to expand the city to accommodate a lot of these uh, refugees. And we've got a couple of passages in Second Chronicles. Let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 32. Now, just going back a little bit of background, Ezra the priest probably wrote First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah all as one long book, and then it was divided up later. So this is just a continuous history. So looking at Second Chronicles chapter thirty-two, would someone like to read verse thirty for us? It was Hezekiah who stopped the upper outlet of the waters of Gihon and directed them to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all that he did. Okay, so Hezekiah was the king when the Assyrian army lined up outside of Jerusalem and he prayed to God and the next day 185 soldiers, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were dead. So that's the Hezekiah. Assyria left, what was left of them. Um, but they have all these refugees on the western side of the city. Gihon was a spring um, in the Kidron Valley on the east side, and he directed the water from the east side of the city to the west side of the city. Does anyone know how he did it? <clears throat> well, my notes say a tunnel. Hezekiah's tunnel. tunnel. Right, Hezekiah's tunnel. So this is this is kind of famous. They found this. So there's this tunnel that crosses underneath the ridge from one side to the other. So he brought water over to the western side, and it empties into the pool of Siloam at the very south, near the south end of the 
western side of the city. Now, it doesn't specifically say that he did it for the refugees, but um, to tie other pieces of history together, um, and that's very likely why they needed water over there. Because we can go to the, uh, staying in Second Chronicles, let's go to chapter 33. Would someone like to read verse 14 for us. Afterwards, he removed the outer wall of the city of David, west of the Gehon spring in the valley, as far as the entrance to the fish gate and encircling the hill of Ophel. He also made it much higher. He stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities in Judea. Okay, so here we have him building walls, um, and some of it is on the west side. So there's a large area that he encompassed. Manasseh did a lot of building. You know, he expanded the city, built some more wall around the city, and so this would enclosed. This actually enclosed the Siloam pool that Hezekiah brought water to, and so that was in this new part of the city. So. If you're in the new part of the city, the western part of the city, and you want to go into the old city, you go through the old city gate. And so that was, it got sorted down to be the old gate. I have to get back to why I started this in the first place. <laughs> a lot of explanation for a name, the old, the old gate, because it was into the old city from the new city. So there's a little bit of history of the city too. Okay, going on to verse 7. Next to him, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, also made repairs for the official seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. So we've got two cities mentioned here, Gibeon and Mizpah. The Gibeonites were, were the ones who came to Joshua and said, We've come from miles and miles away. See how old our sandals are and our Fred's our Fred. Our bread is molded and they made the treaty. Remember the Gibeonites. So that they were about ten miles north of Jerusalem. Mizpah was like a sister city to them. So they came to help uh, build the walls. And then we've run into some very different translations at the last part of this verse. So I've got the New American Standard, and it says, they made repairs for the official seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. So, you know, here's a, you know, this, this is like a, not just a little regional governor, this is one of the satraps for this whole trans-Euphrates region. So it says they're repairing his residence or his seat of government. Um, some versions, um, like the NIV, the Revised Standard, said that these two cities, Gibeah and Mizpah, were under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. And then the English Standard Version seems to say that the two cities, Gibeah and Mizpah, were the seat of of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. And one of the commentaries said very briefly, the Hebrew is not clear. <laughs> so we've got three different translations. They really don't know what this phrase means. Um, 
some commentaries just skipped this. They did. They ignored it completely because it's like we have no idea what it means. How can we comment? Um, others were trying to explain why did the governor have a residence in Jerusalem, and then another one would say, why did the governor have a residence in Mizpah? So there are places where some of these, you know. The writings are very old. Sometimes it's a scribal error. Sometimes there's words that help. we don't know their meaning anymore. And so they don't know how to translate them. And this is one of those cases. Okay, going on to verse 8. It says, Next to him Uziel, the son of Harhiah of the goldsmiths, made repairs. And next to him Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. So here's a couple of trade guilds mentioned. The goldsmiths and the perfumers. And so these are businessmen. You know, do they want protection from bandits and raiders? Absolutely. So they're interested in getting a wall put up too to protect their businesses. Uh, Made me think of some of the smash and grab things going on in San Francisco. So they want protection, so they're interested in building the wall too. Um, this verse mentions a broad wall. The archaeologists have found some old walls when they've done digging. The problem with the... We're, we're going down the western side of uh, the old city. This is all modern city now. <clears throat> The archaeologists can't just go in and start digging everything up looking for walls and artifacts. So I think what happens is if if someone excavates for a foundation for a new building, they have archaeologists there to see what it, they dig up. But um, they can't just go start excavating. But they did find a section of the old wall that's 24 feet wide on the west side of the temple complex. Um, most of the other old walls were like 8 feet wide. So that would explain this is this was a wider wall. Um, you know, maybe it's a place where they needed more defense or something. Um, the other thing that's a little bit odd is uh, it says they restored Jerusalem. This word restored is different than the word rebuild used everywhere else in this chapter. And the word is usually translated leave out or abandon. Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. And if you look at verse 17, Nehemiah 17, look at the very last phrase. It says, And thou didst not forsake them. That word forsake is our word. And then in verse 19, um, it says, Thou in thy great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. So that's how this word is usually used. And so the possibility is here is this, they're going down the western side of the old city, and there was a lot of city that Manasseh had built and Hezekiah had built off further to the west, and they just cut that off. They did not rebuild that part of the city. They just rebuilt the area around the temple and and the the old original city of David. So they kind of cut off that big newer part of the city which is probably still uh, destroyed 
So it had been added because of the influx of people, but now they didn't have a lot of people again. The population was much smaller. They didn't need that. Okay, so now we go on. Let's look at verses 9 through 12. And next to them, Rephaiah, <laughs> the son of Hur, the official of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to them, Jedidiah, the son of Harum, Harumoth, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Hattush, the son of Hash, Hashibniah, made repairs. Malkijah, the son of Hiram, and Hashab, the son of Pamoth Moab, repaired another section and the Tower of Furnaces. And next to him, Shalom, son of Halohesh, the official of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs, he and his daughters. So this lists a whole bunch of families uh, repairing sections of the wall. Verse 9, we have her... Uh, official of half, half the district of Jerusalem. And then down in verse 12, if you notice, there was Shalom, official of half the district of Jerusalem. So we've got two officials from both halves of, you know, Jerusalem is split into two halves, and the, both of these officials were working together here on these sections. Um, verse 12 also mentions that uh, Shalom was building it with his daughters. So this is the only place in this chapter we have daughters mentioned. Usually it's someone and his sons. Or, um, but here's a man who apparently had no sons. He had daughters. And so they are mentioned here. Um, and that reminds me of the daughters of um, Jehovah. I'm trying to remember from the guys Zalafa had, I think. Uh, when they were under Moses... They were talking about how do you pass on the land to your heirs. And it was given to the sons. But they also had to keep the land within the family. And Zalafa had had no sons. So how, you know, was, was his family going to lose their land? And so Moses went to God and they basically said, the land will pass to his daughters, but they have to marry within the tribe. They couldn't have daughters, say, in Judah marrying sons from Benjamin because the land, then Judah would lose that land to the tribe of Benjamin. So they had some restrictions on who they could marry, but the land would pass through their daughters to their families as if they were sons. So um, made a special case for them. Daryl, yeah. mindset talks about being repaired. Now, did they rebuild it, or is, are they like patching it, or? I, th I think in in, yeah, it does it does use the word repair, and it sounds, in some cases, uh, I think we'll get to it where we have a real long section. It might not have been badly damaged in some sections. Okay. Other sections were pretty well wiped out, and I think there's one place where they, along the eastern side, we haven't got to it yet where they'll actually rebuild the wall in a different location. But they generally use the same word. Okay. So it's a real, the word has broad meaning. Okay, verse 10 here in this section um, talks about uh, Jediah made repairs opposite his house. So we'll see that 
more and more as we go through this chapter later on um, about repairing around their houses or opposite their house. Uh, and it is, you know, sometimes houses were built into the city walls. If you go back, uh, we don't need to look at it, but in, in the book of Joshua, he sent the spies into Jericho. And, they, and Rahab hid them. And then at night, she let them out through her window because her window was in the exterior wall. Her house was built either on top of the wall or into the wall. And so she could let them out the window and they were outside the city. <clears throat> I didn't double check uh, when uh, Paul escaped from Damascus. They let him down outside the wall, but I, I don't know if it was a window that they let him out through or not. But, um, but houses were sometimes built into the wall. But you would see why people would have extra incentive to make sure that the wall next to their house was well built and especially strong and high enough. You didn't want to be living next to the weakest part of the wall. So, okay, verse, going on to verse 13. Um, Hanum and the inhabitants of Zanoa repaired the valley gate. They built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars and a thousand cubits of the wall to the refuse gate. Uh, we had looked at this earlier because this, when Ezra did his nighttime survey, he went out this gate, the valley gate, and then he went south around the southern tip of, of the city, the old city, and then up partway up the eastern side, up the Kidron Valley. Um, and it says that they've repaired uh, 100, or 1,000 cubits of the wall that's 500 yards of wall. That's a lot of wall. Five football fields long. And so it's thought that either, either they had a really, really big crew or this wall was not particularly damaged. And when you go back and you look at the arrangement of the city at the time when Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the city, this was actually an interior wall of the city. <coughs> this eastern wall was between the old part of the city and the new part of the city. And so they may have destroyed the exterior around the outside of the whole city and not really spent time destroying this interior wall. So it may have been fairly well intact. Um, okay, we can look at some more. Verses 14 and 15. And Malchijah, the son of Rechab, the official of the district of Beth Hakarerim, <laughs> repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Shalom, the son of Kolhoseh, the official of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. And the wall of the pool of Shelah, at the king's garden, as far as the steps that descend from the city of David. Okay, now these areas, we're getting down to the very southern tip of the old city. Um, and again, we've got district, two district officials <coughs> here who are repairing this, these walls and these gates. Malchijah repaired the refuse gate. You remember right, it's also called the dung gate. 
This is at the very southern lower tip of the city. This is where they hauled their garbage out, dumped it. They had enough sense to at least dump their garbage downstream of their water supply. <laughs> so this was at the very southern end. So we've been talking, describing from the northeast corner down around the northwest corner, down the east, excuse me, western side of the city, we finally reached the very southern tip. Again, we're going clockwise around the city. Um, Shalom was a district official at Mizpah. Back in verse 7, we mentioned people from Mizpah rebuilding the wall. And so he repaired the fountain gate and also some of the wall. Um, it's also mentioned the king's garden and the pool of Shelah or Siloam. And again, this is the pool at the lower end of Hezekiah's tunnel from the spring at Gihon. And it's mentioned, let's, let's go to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. This, this is the man born blind, one of my favorite stories. <coughs> John chapter 9, someone would like to read verses 6 and 7 for us. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Okay, Jesus sent him to go wash his eyes in this pool of Siloam. So this is off the southern, very southern tip of the the old city of David. If you see that phrase, again, that's the old Jebusite city, um, kind of at the very southern end on the western side. Now, up to this point, uh, the city has been described pretty much from this gate to the next gate. We, they repaired the wall from the, a certain gate to another gate to another gate to another gate. Um, at this point, it changes because we don't see a gate mentioned again until verse 26. And the reason for this is that this is the wall that um, it turns and it goes up the Kidron Valley. Uh, this is the eastern side of the city. This side of the valley is very steep. And the wall apparently had been destroyed because when Nehemiah made his survey. He came out. He had, uh, I can't remember, it didn't say a donkey or a horse, but he had a, an animal that he was riding, and he couldn't get through here. It was very rough. It was very full of debris. And so they rebuilt the wall further up the slope where it was, I guess, easier to build or whatever, but they, they made a different path. So instead of going from gate to gate to gate of the old wall, now they're going to head up uh, further up the uh, up the hill, and it's going to be described uh, more in terms of other features, like so and so's house. And we'll see as we go up the wall that there's they do it in front of the residences, and it'll talk about different angles and different corners. But we won't see a gate again until verse 26. So, <laughs> okay, 
Well, that may be about all of the wall building you can take when you're <laughs> low on time. So <laughs> we will we will stop there. I hope you, I hope you found some interesting history of Jerusalem, if nothing else, um, and a little bit of uh, the challenge that they faced here. So it's good to know I can put my daughters to work. Yeah, <laughs> you can. You can put your daughters to work. Um, well, let's close in prayer. Re- Reuben, would you like to close for us? Okay. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and specifically for this portion of your word, a uh, reminder of the historicity of your word, of all the specifics that this is uh, indeed truth. It did really happen. Uh, we, we pray that we would put our hands to the tasks that you would have us do to build your kingdom and to build your city and to rejoice with your people. Uh, We thank you for this study and for uh, the example that Nehemiah is of biblical and godly leadership. Uh, We thank you for this time and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.